I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck as falls and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott. Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Hello there, it's Obi-John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcastum, and welcome to the grand finale of Star Wars Month, or Star Wars Week, if you tuned in last week. <laughs> welcome to week four of Star Wars Week. <laughs> uh, I am Obi-John Kenobi, your host with the most, and joining me, because we have a lot to cover today, so I'm going to get these intros out of the way so we can get to it. Uh, joining me, my right-hand man, the one who keeps us at Stable 1, not Stable 2, uh, Commander Scott. <laughs> Hello. Um, Sorry, just, he keeps uh, the nerd and tot nerdy to me. I was, was concerned or curious about something interesting, somewhat Star Wars related. Uh, this week, there's a, or, or there's a, a scientist named Dr. Claire Rind who's working with a team of people. Um, to create a uh, uh, collision detection program for like auto driving robots and cars and such, you know. And uh-huh. one of the things they're studying is a specific uh, species of locusts because locusts uh, apparently do this very well. Um, and uh, they, sw- they they fly in swarms of like several hundred thousand locusts with no collisions at all and so part of the part of the study is they show or they have locusts watch star wars and they record how their senses perceive the movie and the reason they pick star wars is because it has a lot of spaceships uh and fighters and stuff uh, shots where they come directly at the screen so they 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 study how the locusts react to to those uh those starships coming straight for them so, yeah. Yeah, it's got the pew-pews and the swoosh. Got the pew-pews and the swooshes. Lots of pew-pews and swooshes. And so by, by making locusts watch Star Wars, they're trying to make a better uh, early collision or a collision detection system. Nifty. And what's that doctor's name? Uh, Dr. Claire Rind. R-I-N-D. Uh, is a similar study by Doctor um, studying deliciousness of pork rinds. That's all I had. It was half a joke. It was half wow. made. It didn't come out of the oven very well. I'm tired. It's been a long day. All right. Uh, also with us, not laughing at my jokes, joining us from somewhere in time and space via the time traveling DeLorean, uh, which is now uh, totally pimped out in full Beskar. Uh, it's the Doc. 
You know, I'm just a simple man trying to make my way through the galaxy. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> See what you did there. I like it. Uh, and if we're not dropping enough hints yet, we are capping off <laughs> week four of Star Wars week. Uh, we're capping off Star Wars month by talking about the thing everyone's been talking about. Uh, but we're going to break this down and get deep into it. How deep? Like a Sarlacc pit deep. Uh, we're breaking down all of the Mandalorian season two. Episode by episode, strap in. It's going to be about four and a half hours. Um, I only have like 14 pages of notes, though, so we'll be fine. I was, I was uh, kind of hoping to eat at some point tonight. Uh, that's fine. Just meet your mic. <laughs> um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. No, uh, we're going we're gonna to keep it fairly uh, fairly brief. And there's some episodes I think we'll have a lot more to say about than others. Uh, but me being the proper uh, film studies nerd I am, I rewatched the whole season and took notes on every episode just so I you know, remembered to say this about this episode kind of thing. So without further ado, let's get into it because we got a lot to talk about. Uh, so we started this season uh, with Chapter 9 called The Marshal, written and directed by Jon Favreau. Uh, get ready to hear that name a lot. So, what did everyone think of the first episode of season two? Um, uh, not enough Walter Goggins. <laughs> Are we going to hear that a lot in the season two, Scott? Well, no, no, no. Just, just okay. for the Marshall. Just, just for the, this episode. This episode okay. has has plenty of Raylan Givens, but but no um, uh, Boyd Crowder. Uh, I was I was really expecting, you know, a, a nice justified reunion, some Boyd Crowder, some, you know, some of the others. But uh, but no, no. Fair enough. Um, maybe Rangers of the New Republic will get us some Walter Goggins. We can only hope. <laughs> Jay, your thoughts on this episode? Uh, I really liked it. They kicked off the new season strong with, uh, yeah. I mean, it was a lengthy episode, but. Uh, really I good storytelling. Longest one of the season. Uh, I think clocked in at like fifty-four minutes, which I believe was the longest one of the season. Um, yeah, it was like I said, it was a longer episode, but really good storytelling. It's the kind of like Star Wars that you'd hope for in an extended sort of uh, oh hell yeah plot line. Like you know, you get to have fun in the universe and not just mm-hmm. follow the Skywalker legacy. You know what I mean? Like right. Right. We got to veer off into some craziness that I really enjoyed. Uh, they threw it back to some references of why the Sand people were so afraid of Obi-Wan when he imitated a crate dragon. Um, yeah. The uh, Marshal showing up in Boba Fett's armor was definitely <laughs> a jaw-dropping yeah. moment for all of us. A great fake out, yeah. It was, yeah. but that, 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 helmet, that helmet does not sit well on that head. Uh, that helmet was well, way too big for his head. Timothy Oliphant has a certain swagger about him. Uh, he, and he is He is a much taller, lankier man than uh, Tamara Morrison. <laughs> the armor sits a little differently on him. It uh, does. But yeah. thank God looking, for looking, space Velcro, I'm going to assume. <laughs> uh, looking back on it now, it's like, yeah, they definitely made that armor to fit, I, I want to say, a bulkier to more and more to yeah. what's his name to, to more more of a dad bod yeah morrison right no yeah right. yeah tomorrow yeah. morrison yes yes it, him Django fett um timothy macarena <laughs> yeah yes 
it like you could tell that that armor was not designed for Timothy Oliphant. Like it was like, but a little but saggy, did... a little big, but he he wore it well. He wore it well, and but I, I think I think them making the armor for uh, the other actor and uh, giving it to you know Oliphant and it not fitting his frame very well. I, I think it really added to the whole situation you were seeing. Yeah. 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 It, it tells you what you need to know about him. Right. Just looking at him is, is that's definitely not your armor. It, uh, it hangs on you a little bit weird. Um, I think this episode had maybe the best opening of the entire, of every, epi- any episode this season, because oh, yeah. in the span of like five minutes, we got a badass Mando story. Uh, like that, that opening sequence could have just been like released as a teaser for the whole season. Uh, where he's walking into the the Gamorrean Fight Club, and you know gets into a brawl, and that uh, amazing. Um, all right, tell me where to find the Mandalorians that I I, I won't kill you. Uh, let me down. I didn't say I'd let you down. Uh, you know he shoots the the light post out, and the weird creatures you only see their eyes start cl- closing in, and he walks to camera, and boom, logo drops in. Uh, like it instantly, instantly puts you right back into. Okay, here we go. This is Mando. Gotcha. I'm, I'm right back with you now. Like the mood, the tone, everything. Yeah, uh, just gets set perfectly. Um, and, and then, uh, oh, good. I was just gonna say, shout out to John Leguizamo. Yeah, <laughs> that John... I had to stop the episode <laughs> and look that up because I'm like, I know that voice, and I can't tell what it is. I know, I know it. <sighs> the John Leguizamo yeah. is great in just about everything he does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I I love him. Um, I also love I also love this episode because as far as I know, this is this brings uh, something from old EU back into canon, and I love it anytime that happens. Um, and that's the not not just the crate dragon because we actually get to see one on camera, but the pearls. Because mm-hmm. it's the first time we've seen pearls on screen, first time we see a crate dragon on screen. But I don't think there's been anything else new canon that references the Crate Dragon Pearls yet. Not to my knowledge. So, uh, really liked that. So I uh, it's important to call out because uh, because we're I'll circle back around to this, but as soon as Din rides into uh, Mos Pelgo, this episode shifts gears straight into spaghetti western uh, oh, territory. Oh yeah. Yeah. In the best way possible, um, and and it, it's so pitch perfect that the the episode that leans furthest into the western trope gave us uh, Timothy Oliphant because you don't get more western than Timothy Oliphant apparently. Um, yeah, he was he was great. Trying to make sure I didn't leave anything out. Um, so two quick things. First of all, um, this also introduces a very, very important uh, recurring plot point in all of season two. You might have missed it if you only watched, you know, if you watched a week to week, you might not have picked up on it. But uh, Mando season two gave us a new fictional curse word uh, in the tradition of Goram and uh, the, the frack. And McClunky, we now can curse out loud anytime we want by saying the phrase Dank Ferrick. Yep. I did not notice this at all until I did my rewatch when I watched the entire season in a day and a half. Uh, Every episode 
somebody curses out loud, and I had to look up uh, the subtitles. Dank Ferrick. Yep, Dank Ferrick. So put that in your back pocket. Uh, and then one thing I want to touch on every episode, I'm calling this uh, playing with the toys. Uh, because I feel like in general Mandalorian is is super fun because you're seeing Star Wars nerds get to break out the toys and play with them. Uh, and every episode brings in different Star Wars toys to play with. So this one we get, you know, the Gamorreans uh, in the Fight Club. Uh, we get the Tuscans, Sykes Scott's Deadly Crate Dragon. Um, but there's two big things. One, and this is something I didn't notice until Scott pointed it out to me. Um, there's a certain jetpack glitch. Uh, that Din takes advantage of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, apparently the same glitch Han Solo accidentally stumbled across, uh, yep. where if you hit it in just the right spot, you'll set that thing off. Yep. Uh, and then the one I have to call out, or I would not be a proper Star Wars nerd, is we got the return of a uh, cult favorite character, R5, guys. No? Oh, the red droid. <laughs> yes, the droid with the bad motivator that we almost bought over R2-D2 in Episode 4 makes a return. And no, it's not just a red R2 droid. It's specifically called out as R5. And there's a shot where it's it's moving away from camera. And you can see the burn mark on the top of its head where its motivator blew. Um, or was like sabotaged that. by R2. Um, potato, actually, potato. <laughs> uh, actually, in the in in old EU canon, um, uh, R five was not sabotaged. Actually, while they were on the uh, the Sandcrawler, uh, R five and R two got to talking, and R two basically had explained to R five why it was so important that he and three PO stay together. So when Uncle Owen went to choose him, he uh, uh, on purpose overloaded his own motivator. Huh. Well, still that bastard R2 unit. <laughs> uh, and then I've got uh, two burning questions for me anyway uh, at the at the end of this episode. Uh, one we'll get to, one I don't think we will for a while. Uh, did the Crate Dragon accidentally free Boba Fett? Because we're told that the Crate Dragon lives in the abandoned Sarlacc pit. To which someone says, well, what happened to the Sarlacc? And then they tell them, the Krayt Dragon ate the Sarlacc. Well, yeah, so, so, somebody says there is no such thing as an abandoned Sarlacc pit. You get an empty one when the Sarlacc is eaten. Um, I think it alludes to that, but I don't think it actually establishes that's how he got out or that's how he was saved. Um, curious if we'll find out uh, in December 2021. Yeah. Great. And then one question, which they kind of answer, um, is Boba's armor Beskar? There's one Every... shot where he, uh, where uh, uh, Cobb Vanth, uh, when he's using it to take back the town, gets shot, and the the bolt uh, glances off him and makes the same sound effect as when Din gets shot. Well, uh, pretty much everybody is saying. That oh yeah it's all Beskar but I don't believe there's actually been a line of dialogue on screen that confirmed it. Right, and and we we definitely know not all Mandalorian armor is Beskar. Yeah, uh, so that, that's a very bad assumption to make. Um, 
And, and there's some more clues later on in the season that leans to maybe it is. But yeah, just uh, in the in my margins, I wrote down questions that uh, popped up in my head, and uh, we never quite got a definitive answer to. Um, um, yeah, I just want to point out one more toy. Okay. Uh, and this is definitely something that I would have done with my Lego set. Um, <laughs> and it was the fact that Cobb Vanth was riding the engine of a pod racer as a speeder, like yes. a speeder bike. Yes. And, and is it the engine for Anakin's pod racer? It looked it, very similar. It, I don't think yeah. it was. Whether it's well, supposed to be or not, who knows? Yeah. Fair enough. But it's very similar. Uh, all right, then. Just like Din Djarin, uh trying to find those mandos, we're moving on. Chapter 10, The Passenger, written by John Favreau, directed by Peyton Reed. Both names you're going to hear again later. What did we all think of Chapter 10? Well, first um, of all, I'm going to point out that I don't like yes. the fact that they keep calling, they keep num- the number scheme continues from season to season. Because... Uh-huh. Every time I would bring it up on Disney Plus to stream the new episode, it'd be like chapter 12. And I'm like, well, is that episode three? What was chapter last week? I don't remember. (laughs) Tell me season two, episode whatever. Don't tell me chapter. Look, it it wouldn't be proper Star Wars if it didn't have a confusing numbering system. (laughs) It's true. Star Um, Wars one, you mean four. No, Star Wars one, you, you, you mean four. No, I mean one. Okay, the, the prequel? No, no, the original. Four. Yeah, four. <laughs> uh, I'm yeah, just going to say that I th- I think I think that this episode was the weakest of the season. Um not in the fact that like it's not that a lot goes on, but I mean it drives the story forward but not as much as it probably could have. Well, and and, and it really it sets up what will become the uh, rinse and repeat uh, plot of this entire season. And if we're going to get into to critique, so might as well address it now. But so at the end of episode, uh, sorry, at the end of chapter nine, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, Din is uh, he's trying to track down Mandalorians, and he's told, "Hey, this person might know some. Uh, give him a ride." And we then jump into giving them a ride. And it's this thing where we're trying to get to A. But before we get to A, we got to help thing B or person B or whatever do a thing. We got to go do a side mission. And then we'll circle back around to our main mission. So it's like every other episode progresses the plot. And every other episode is basically just kind of, I don't want to say spinning our wheels, but is a little more filler. And I think this one is definitely the most fillerist. Uh, which is not to say it's a bad episode. Yeah. Uh, like, like Jay said, it, it's definitely the most um, Star Wars horror episode I think we've ever gotten uh, with the creepy ice spiders and the, the which again, comes very, this ice spiders don't show up until like at least halfway through the episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's very much, uh, we're spinning our wheels. Uh, we're not really driving the plot forward. I mean, you get some character moments, which are always good. Um we get stuff like uh, our first signs of what the new Republic is up to with, uh, you know, Filoni making his cameo and uh, you know, the uh, other X-Wing pilot. Um, I do appreciate that it picks up directly where the, the last previous episode ended. So if you, if you're streaming the whole season back to back to back, it's very seamless between episodes. 
which is cool. You, you don't feel like you're missing out any of his journey, but at the same time, you feel like, yeah, we can we can move this along. Can we can we skip ahead? Yeah, yeah, we get it. He gassed up. Okay, he bought a slushy. Yeah. Please. Um, but yeah. So, uh, I love the 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 fact that all through the well, not all through, but in in through this uh, this production, they they continue to use cosplay fans, the, specifically the local five hundred first chapter, uh, for uh-huh. for you know background actors and everything. Because as far as I know, the uh, the gentleman playing the uh, the New Republic captain, um, uh, uh, Captain Carson Tiva, played by Paul Sun Hyung Lee, uh, he's a he's a five hundred first cosplayer. Uh, he oh, uh, has right. picture, pictures of him doing uh, doing conventions in his uh, his Imperial officer uniform and stuff. So I like the fact that they they tapped him to be you know an X wing pilot. Um, I personally, I, I enjoyed this episode because it gives us, well, it gives us, you know, uh, some New Republic X-Wings. You get the X-Wing pilots. You get uh, Mando trying to outfly the X-Wings. In, yeah. In, 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 an a, in, in an antique. And he does a decent job of it. I mean, for what he's got, it, it's pretty good. And, uh, you know, and you're like, damn, the the uh, the, the Razor Crest is, is, is taking a damn beating in this this episode. Shit. Uh, <laughs> which will continue season. forward. <laughs> yes, which will continue forward. Uh, I, I think the Razor Crest had a great character arc this season. And, oh, uh, it sure did. Man. I did. And uh, I was really curious when we get to the Ice Spiders. Uh, they look very, very similar to the spiders we see in season three of Rebels. Yeah. Um, but they're just a little different. Yeah. Yeah, But they're just a little different. So I don't know if they're supposed to be an offshoot of the same species or what, but yeah, I did like those spiders. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I had that in my, in my playing with the toys for this episode, I have ice spiders and in parentheses rebels question mark. Um, But we also got most likely cantina. Uh, We saw some people playing Sabak and somebody wins Sabak with an idiot's array. Uh, we see them roasting meat with an engine, which is a super, super nerdy callback to uh, Rodian Roasters at uh, Galaxy's Edge. Uh, and <laughs> we have to talk about the most controversial aspect of this episode, uh, Baby Yoda um, eating endangered species eggs. Yeah, well, apparently the internet blew up and lost their minds over this. Hashtag cancel Baby Yoda. He's... <laughs> Well, here's the thing is right. And like what people don't understand is that we eat eggs on a daily basis. Now, are they from a species that's, you know, trying to like produce more offspring? Not necessarily, but we still eat them. But we don't eat the eggs of sentient species. (laughs) You know, chickens can't come up and go, yo, what the fuck, dude? That's only in the Zelda universe. Yeah. Why are you eating Carl Jr.? Don't be eating Carl Jr. You know. It, uh, so, yes, I understand that argument, but at the same time, he's he's eating because he's hungry, and they're delicious to him. Yeah, and apparently, uh, apparently, whatever species you know, Grogu and Yoda and Yaddle are from, because it's never it's still yet to be identified, and hopefully, it never will be. But whatever species they're from, they're obviously from the south of 
the uh, uh, the, the the Star Wars galaxy because they love their 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 pickled eggs. I mean, I oh yeah, I love me a pickled like egg. Char pickled eggs. Oh god, their frog so. legs and uh, the body and the head and everything else attached to the frog legs and uh, not too big on squid, but you know we'll do it. Not big um, on squid. Although. And this leads to, and this might be me reading way too far into it. Uh, Baby Yoda eating is a big, another recurring thing this season. Uh, someone about to hit a growth spurt. He might grow half an inch. I don't know. Uh, so Thanks. Uh, that's episode 10, The Passenger. Again, not it, it's, it's sort of like calling it a bad episode is sort of like saying it's a bad Marvel movie. It's like, yeah, it might, be, it might not be the best Marvel movie, but it's not a bad movie. This might not be the most fun episode of Mandalorian, yeah. but it's still not bad TV. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it just wasn't on. the strongest episode. That's, yeah. yeah. And especially when we're all waiting for the plot to keep moving forward and, and questions to be answered. And this one is not about that. Uh, right. This is about uh, 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 you know, the car breaking down on the side of the road on the way to the next stop. Uh, so, episode 11, The Heiress, we get to the next stop. Uh, written by John Favreau, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. And uh, my first note is poor Razor Crest limping to the barn. I have to say, you know, I played a lot of Star Wars role playing games in my time over the years, and his landing on this planet was it was right up there with one of my landings because my landings always end up in these shapes. Uh, a lot. In fact, uh, my game master, you know, uh, Jeremiah, uh, he texted me when he got to watch the episode. He said, hey, Mando does one of your landings. Appreciate uh, that. So, a, quick I'm question a, for, for oh. verification real quick, Scott. Uh, when the Razor Crest hits and then falls off the landing pad into the water, is that at stable two or stable three? Uh, that would be because uh, he it's sinking, right? Is it actually sinking, or does yes. it go to the... uh, As far as I know, it, it has to... unstable too, because he's because he's underwater, negative buoyancy, and taking on water. So they had to fish it out with the crane. So, uh, sorry, Jay, what were you going to say? I was going to well, jumping right off of that comment, it was pretty cool to see a repurposed ATAT. Um, yeah, pulling that out, and like we get to see them again later which we'll get to eventually, but it was just cool to see that like on screen, like, Oh, Hey, there's a different use for this chassis other than attacking the rebel base on Hoth. Yeah. See now, now this begs a question because once again, I, I have problems with, with things that you see on screen and people make assumptions and then the community as a whole takes those assumptions as fact. Right. It's, is it a repurposed AT-AT, or as you said, is it just a different application of the same chassis from the same manufacturer? In other words, are they commonplace? They didn't take an AT-AT that was abandoned and go, hey, you know, if we strip this puppy down, we can put us a crane up there, and my God, we'll be good to go. You know, See, you know. Yeah. Well, if the I outer rim is the south of the galaxy, then yes, that's exactly what we did. Ah. Uh. In my mind, the way I look at it is it's not necessarily repurposed, but it definitely is an ATAT chassis. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I I, I agree with that fully. Uh, yeah, but and if they and like if, if I would say I, that they probably came that way. 
Yeah, and that, that's my thinking. But once again, it's still an assumption on my part. Right. Just the way it's designed. Like, if you look at it, like, the look of it, it didn't have that, like, the neck and the head sticking out. It was just sort of like a cockpit with glass, like a normal yeah. crane would be. Yeah. And I feel like that would be very hard to replace and remove, especially when we saw how well that Mon Calamari fixed the Razor Crest. <laughs> so uh, I'm thinking it came the, that way. Well, as riveting as the ATAT discussion is, uh, I think <laughs> I have a little more meat to chew on with this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that is uh, the first of what will be many characters who are previously only existed in animated cartoon shows now made the leap to live action. Bo-Katan Kreese, played by Katie Sackhoff, reprising her role uh, from the cartoon show where she voiced the character. Uh, big as life and twice as gorgeous. Uh, full-on armor, uh, flanked by Casca Reeves, played by Sasha Banks, and Axe Woves, played by, I'm going to mess up his name, Simon Cassiniades. Ke- <clears throat> Simon and Garfunkel, got it. Yeah, that guy. Uh, Don't worry, he disappears right after this episode, apparently. Uh, But uh, we get to see, uh, for the first time, well, the first time since last season, anyway, we see uh, um, Din meeting up with Mandos he's never met before, Um, specifically members of the Night's Watch, uh, specifically members of the sub-faction of the Night's Watch, the Night Owls, uh, led by Bo-Katan, and it was so awesome to see this character literally come to life. Um, I think Katie Sackhoff uh, did a great job uh, physically playing the character, not just lending the voice to it. Um, kind of curious if they modeled the character after her a bit when they were doing the animation. Um, but we get the first big question from the previous season answered, uh, which is if you're if you're a good nerd and watch the cartoons, uh, last season, you were very confused as to why Din insisted Mandos can never take their helmets off when in every prior iteration, we've seen Mandos freely take their helmets off left and right, and no one gives a shit. Uh, that was finally addressed when uh, Din was referred to as a child of the Watch, uh, which I assume means Death Watch? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it, it makes sense given everything we have, every every bit of information we've been given, that makes the most sense. Doesn't and doesn't Bo-Katan come right out and say that it, it was the Death Watch? Well, she says she calls him a child of the Watch and says the Watch is a uh, a faction of um uh shoot uh, I'm trying to remember her exact wording, uh, but they're basically they're the religious zealots. Uh, they're, they're a splinter faction of Mandalore that are like fundamentalist Mandalorian, um, church of fundamental Mandalorian. Uh, and, and very creed is you never take your helmet off. So again, like Scott said, with the, the ATAT, we're, we're kind of drawing, uh, our own assumptions, but knowing what we know about, you know, the whole death watch was founded when Mandalore as a planet was going pacifist. And they said, no, this is wrong. We need to go back hardcore into our warrior ways. So Death Watch was kind of a splinter faction of Mandalore society. It would stand to reason as Mandalore folded back into being more uh, martial in their ways. The Death Watch was uber 
conservative, whatever you want to call them, fundamentalist uh, and their beliefs. That if it's not just enough to be a warrior, you've got to live this creed. Um, and Din was raised that way. And this is sort of, it looks like his, his first encounter with people, with Mandalorians, other than those yeah. following his own creed, other than Children of the Watch, which really kicks off his character growth this entire season. Uh, yeah, all they, of last season's yeah, go ahead, sorry. They they pull those helmets off and he, he kinda loses his shit there for a minute. <laughs> He's like, Hey, and what, it's a, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> it's a great callback to the first episode of this season where um Cobb sits down and there's that because it, it same with you know Whitney didn't know it was supposed to be Boba Fett or whatever. She just you know, he sits down and takes his helmet off and he goes, He's not a Mandalorian. Because if you only watch the show, you've been ingrained with you never take your helmet off. And this was a great callback to those aren't no Mandalores, to which Bo-Katan very quickly slaps him down and says, hey, fuck you. Yeah, there's more than one way to be a Mandalore. This has been in my family for generations. Uh, I was born on a Mandalore. I fought during the purge. Uh, (laughs) Who the fuck are you calling not a Mandalore? Um, Which I love. (laughs) But. It sets off, you know, all last season we were told this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. And I think if, if Din has a, a character arc to follow this season, it's maybe there's more than one way. Um, and also going back to your your uh, uh, thing about uh, uh, animated characters coming into uh, live action, uh, we, we can't forget that uh, um, uh, Bo-Katan is, is the third character to make that jump from uh, animated to live action. So she is definitely not the first. What other two did I miss? Uh, the, the first, as far as I know, um, was Saw Gerrera. Uh, in, oh, uh, oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about in Mandalorian. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no not yeah, in Mandalorian. Uh, just, just in general. Uh, and then the second, at the end of Clone, at the end of uh, Rogue One, uh, we, we do get a chopper cameo. So it's very brief, very but he's brief. there. Best part of that whole movie. Um, <laughs> for for just a split second, when uh, Bo-Katan shows up on that ship, mm-hmm. just for a split second, I out loud said to myself, holy crap, is that Sabine? Thinking that that's who it would have been. And well, then... and the big the big rumor leading up to that episode was that uh, Sasha Banks was playing Sabine, um, which is proven to be not true. But uh, give it time; I'm sure she'll show up. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But no, uh, but um, Sabine's armor is much more colorful. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was just it was just a like a holy crap because you don't see many you you don't really see any other Mandalorians with painted faces on their helmets well you haven't yet right but i mean (laughs) sabine sabine was the only one that i could think of that had painted her helmet she is very colorful thirst yes yeah and so Uh, that's just immediately my thought but then it was bo katan and i was like oh holy shit i know her too so yeah, yeah yeah um which does set up uh, what I think is going to be the next big storyline, which is the whole reclaiming Mandalore. We get our first little seed planted of that in this episode. Um, and we get 
couple other big plot points released in this one. Uh, first of all, we playing in the playing with the toys. We get to see Mon Calamari and Corrin. Uh, we get to see stormtroopers. Uh, we get our first name drop of the dark saber and our first name drop of the next animated character we'll meet, uh, Ahsoka Tano. Um, and then we get the weird but awesome Imperial suicide capsule. Uh, when the the uh, imperial officer is trying to take the easy way out, um, apparently we've replaced cyanide with some kind of electrical charge because sci-fi. It's yeah, uh, Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, uh, but then I think we also get the first seed of, and we never get a full answer, but the first seed of because we see Moff Gideon for the first time in this season in this episode, uh, and we get his uh, again firmly establishing this guy is cold as fuck. Uh, they've already taken how much of the ship? Okay, you know what to do. Long live the Empire. Um, showing his resolve of uh, he is willing to make sacrifices for the big picture. We'll circle back around to that. But then it brings up another big question I have, which ties into the other question I had. Bo-Katan has, you know, generations old armor. Is it not Beskar either? Because our big climax of this episode is we're pinned down. What do we do? What do we do? And Din Djarin makes the suicide dash head on at all the stormtroopers with his Beskar armor that, you know, everything just tinks and clinks off of it. They're wearing armor, too. There's not Beskar? I personally think that Beskar is extremely rare, even from Bo-Katan's time. Oh, it, it, we it's definitely rare now, but given how old her armor is, I would assume it's Beskar. Well, once again, we're assuming because nothing she has says it's been in her family for generations, right. and I we know, know Beskar. I know. But you're still assuming that Beskar wasn't rare at the time her armor was made. I'm assuming it's not because the only reference we get to it being rare is last season when they talk about the Empire basically te- uh, stealing it all and strip mining the planet of it. Yeah, but how much was there? I don't know. But again, exactly. was, I'm was assuming as old as, as old as Bo-Katan's armor is, and as important as her clan is to Mandalore, I would assume at the very least, her armor would be Beskar. Uh, the two randos know. with her, I don't know. You got me. But then we wouldn't have had the really cool scene of, uh, you know, the, the whole Wolverine ain't nothing mutant about these scene with uh, with uh, uh, Mandalorian, with Mando, with uh, whatever his name is. Din Djarin. Yeah, Mando. Mando's name. Yeah. Uh, his given name. Uh, no, it's a very cool moment, and it's awesome. But again, it was something that didn't bother me at all the first time. And then upon rewatch, I was like, wait, they all have armor, too. Is, is it is it just as pointless as stormtrooper armor? Is it purely cosmetic at this point? Because at this point, or at least by like two episodes later, I think we can firmly establish stormtrooper armor is purely cosmetic at this point. Uh, but I'm going to get ahead of myself. Um, um, I just yeah. want to throw out that this is this episode had one of my laugh out loud moments of the season in it. There are a couple, but this was one of them. And it was when the imperial officer in the cargo bay said that they had them sealed in in the cargo hold control room in the where and then the 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 i guess commanding officer on the bridge said in the where and then the next scene is 
them being jettisoned from the back of the ship. Blown into space. It seemed like a it seemed like a great plan for a second. Hey, yeah. look, we got them trapped right there. Cool. Wait, what room were they trapped in? Oh shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I laughed uh, out loud. It was good. Yeah. No, it was good. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I loved the fail upwards almost moment that that you know, officer got when he's clearly panicking. Is close the doors. Close, close all the doors. Oh hey hey, we trapped him. Yeah, I meant to do that. Look, we trapped him. Wait, what room was that? Oh shit. Damn it. <laughs> like, that guy just had a really bad day at work. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Bo-Katan, uh I love to sing, and uh, we'll we'll see more of her in a moment. Um, that's all I got for notes for that episode. Right on. All right, moving on. Chapter twelve: The Siege, written by yes. John Favreau and directed by Carl Weathers. Yep, chapter twelve, episode. Who the fuck knows? Because it's chapter twelve. <laughs> I don't know. Could be episode five, episode twelve. I don't know. Ah, uh, yeah. This but, was another one that was like, eh, spin your wheels. Well, and. and yeah, it's as far as moving the the plot of Din and and Baby Yoda, it doesn't do much. But this does definitely plant seeds for the larger Star Wars universe. So it's again interesting, but yeah, definitely a uh, uh, a pit stop. Uh, literally, it's a pit stop. Uh, the Razor Crest really needs proper repair work. Uh, we're gonna go hang out with our buddies on Navarro and catch up with uh, what's happened last season. And uh, we're off to the races. Well, uh, so uh, this episode is is less about moving the story forward with everything that's going on, and it's more about we got to stop, take a little bit of a breath, and do a little bit of world building here. Um, mm-hmm. I I see a huge um, uh, Dave Filoni hand in this episode, even though you know he he didn't. I don't. I don't think he actually wrote it, and I know he didn't direct it he, or anything, right? He did not. Yeah, but I see his hand in some of this because so you get the the, the protocol droid that uh, that's that's teaching the children in this episode. Yep. Remember, they go in. Yep. So if you if you listen to what the protocol droid is is saying, the protocol droid confirms that after the fall of the empire. Uh, the galactic capital was actually moved from Coruscant to Chandrilla, uh, which is where Mon Mothma is from. Uh, this is the planet that was destroyed by Starkiller Base uh, yep. in in Rise of the Empire. Rise of the Empire. Fuck. Uh, Force <laughs> Awakens. First Order. <laughs> rise, of, rise of the First Order. Yep. Yeah. Rise, rise of the First Whatever. Uh, <laughs> the Force Awakens. Um, this was actually first mentioned in Aftermath the uh the the novel trilogy um i think it was confirmed in another novel i'm not sure um and at this point of the mandalorian uh leia and han are on chandrilla uh and uh, ben solo is an infant at this point so uh so just that whole scene and 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 everything mm. else kind of surrounding this episode cuz cuz we're going back to first season characters we're showing what happened to first season characters after you know they were gone we've got to come back we've got to see them again we've got to see what happened to our people um we're, the we're bar getting is a school now <laughs> yeah exactly we're getting world building tie-ins um where they're they're 
they're lending credence to the new canon. Uh, it, it, it's very small, but it's there. And I, I, like I said, I see a lot of Dave, Dave Filoni. I see a lot of him in, uh, uh, I don't know, like salt and pepper shaking around the edges of this episode. <laughs> Yeah, it's seasoned with that. Well, yeah. that's yeah. That that protocol droid also drops a few other names. She mentions the Maelstrom, which we know is the Kessel Run. Yes. Um. So the, the, yeah, if you if you go back and just listen to her dialogue, tons of nerdy Star Wars uh, references to pick up in that. Um. But for me, this episode had a big feeling of um. The old West is not so wild anymore, and civilization is coming, and uh, we're, we're we're getting you know we're getting civilized now. Um, the the new republic is trying to flex its muscles. Um, again, it's perfectly encapsulated with so the location we had our big final shootout in last season, the bar, you know where, where Mando got all of his jobs last season, is now a school for kids. That doesn't encapsulate what's what's going on with uh, Navarro. I don't know what does, but because uh, that brings us to the the larger plot point of, look, we're trying to get our act together and get things back on track here. This one last remnant of the Empire on the planet is this base, and that is where you know the episode title comes from. Even though they're not really sieging the base, they're raiding the base, but whatever. Um, so. Getting to the base is where I think the meat of this episode comes into, uh, which is not again not to say like Scott pointed out there's there's definitely lots of world building in this, um, but the the Imperial base is still occupied for some unknown reason with lots of heavy firepower. Um, it, the design the the look of this base is very very old school Empire Death Star, um, literally to the point where and I forget the name of the character the uh, the blue guy from the first episode Horatio Sands. Literally, as they're sending him out to turn off the uh, um, coolant stuff, goes, there's no guardrail on this at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that. Oh, um, God, but then our, 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 <laughs> our big plot turn or reveal or whatever you want to call it, our retcon, that's just to piss off Scott, uh, is when we discover the lab and the reason this base is still occupied. And uh, remember when Scott talked about uh, if we don't get answers given to us, we're going to infer our own. So here we go. Let's infer our own answers because they sure didn't give us any. Uh, We hear in a recorded message from the doctor, we hear blood with a high M count, volunteers, uh, hold on, uh, body rejected the blood, promising results for an entire fortnight. Uh, Volunteer will meet the same fate if we proceed with the transfer. Uh, all this stuff in his message. Um, and then we see test subjects in test tubes that look sort of snokish. What the fuck's going on in space? Let's conjecture wildly. They are creating Snoke clones using Grogu's blood for Palpatine. Is Snoke a clone, though, or is he a purely genetically created thing? Well, in because in Rise of Skywalker, don't they say that? Well, he's cloned. He's in a tube, they're, they're, but we don't are... know if he, we don't know if there was ever a Snoke, and now we're making more clones of him, or if he's literally something we grew in a lab. That's true. For all we know, he's Danny DeVito from Twins. Yeah, with some blood injected into him. Uh, but this goes back to some old EU stuff, and Scott, I'm gonna need you on this. 
because there are clones of Jedi in the old EU. Yes. Can you clone a Jedi and they still have the ability to use the Force? Would you need to inject a clone with M count high blood? According to old EU, no, you don't have to. First of all, the the, the actual M count, the midichlorians, um, did hey, not we exist. We don't use that word. It's M count. <laughs> First of all, I loved the M count. Uh, name drop. I'm going to call it a name drop in this episode. Loved it because it is the first time since the Phantom Menace we have any reference to midichlorians. Um, I was not a fan of midichlorians, you know, way back when uh, uh, Phantom Menace came out. I'm still not their biggest, you know, supporter because it it demystifies the force. and, and, And from a storytelling aspect, I don't think that's something you really should do. But I'm okay with, we're dealing with clones, and, and they're looking for Groku's, you know, they're looking for people who, who have high uh-huh. midichlorians for this project, so I'm good with it. Um, but in the old EU, uh, there were a few uh, instances of, of Jedi that were cloned, and like I said, midichlorians did not the exist. most famous it's, being? Well, I mean, you had, you know, Joris Kaboeth. Uh, there it is! <laughs> Yeah, then everyone's favorite cloned villain, Luke. And then George Kaboeth cloned Luke to create uh, a clone of him. Uh, Both of those can use the Force. Uh, And then in Dark Empire, you found out that the Emperor had an entire facility facility dedicated to nothing but cloning him himself. Um, And it was explained in the old EU that the emperor tapped so deeply into the dark side that it was, it was his use of the dark side that physically corrupted his body. Um, not some weird force lightning backlash off of a lightsaber bullshit. Um, <laughs> and I lightsaber love lightsaber feedback happens to everybody. Yeah, lightsaber feedback. Yeah. I didn't care about the lightsaber feedback. Um, and uh, so, yeah, and he had to change bodies every so often. So these these bodies were grown for him, uh, and he transferred his mind into it with the use of a, a dark side ability that he had. Um, and and then he came out. And he was young because it was a fresh body, but within just a few weeks of him being in the body, it was it was back to the old decrepit because it, it corrupted it so much. So that. If you're using, if you're accepting that premise from old EU, which once again is no longer actual canon, um, as fact that if you clone a Jedi, that his uh, the midichlorians will be there, then uh, you would that would lend to the 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 test subjects in the vats, which popular opinion is they are what's going to become Snoke um, is just a straight genetic creation. It's not a clone of any donor. Um, However, uh, Qui-Gon does tell us in The Phantom Menace that midichlorians are uh, a microscopic organism that live in our blood. Um, And 
it's 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 them that allow us to feel the force or allow Jedi to feel the force. Um, so if that's the case, and you clone a Jedi, I don't think the midichlorians would be there. That you would have to populate the midichlorians, um, and specific donors would have a genetic predisposition for how well midichlorians can thrive, reproduce, and survive inside the host. Now, I say this because let's work off the premise that they are they're microscopic organisms, that you can harvest them or grow them, you know, cultivate just midichlorians. Then right. you could take a Jedi and just inject him with a shit ton of midichlorians and make him just an uber-powerful Jedi. Now, uh, either A, you can, and that practice was banned for as yet to be untold cool-ass story from several thousand years ago, or B, uh, it doesn't work because the genetic host can only support a colony of midichlorians of so much. I lend toward that latter, um, that it wouldn't work. That would make sense, yeah. But, but at the same time, if it didn't, could you temporarily inject somebody with a boost of metachlorians to give them an edge until those extra ones died off and, and balance restored itself in the body. So there's all kinds of various areas yep. and directions you can go with this. Uh, the, the lines of thought are just wide open personally. Um, one thing I'm curious about and one thing that gives me a lot of hope with, with this, with this episode. And this is the reason why I brought this up is, is the, the, the mention of Chandrilla in this one directly ties information in this back to Chuck Wendig's novel. And at the end of the aftermath trilogy, you find out that Palpatine was looking for something beyond the outer rim. Now, between Chuck Wendig and uh, The Force Awakens, personally, I believe the item or the, the, the thing that was calling to Palpatine from beyond the rim that he was looking for was Snoke. However, that got fucked up with uh, Rian Johnson and we had to backtrack. Uh, and that's when we found out that Snoke was, was just uh, a, a clone of something or someone. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, going forward, that, that Favreau and uh, uh, Filoni, uh, the, the F brothers, um, get to, uh, uh, to further tie this stuff in so we have an explanation of what was calling to Palpatine out beyond the rim. Uh, also, based on looking at all this with meta thinking like this, I believe the things in the vats are clones of Palpatine. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, that Snoke was a clone of Palpatine, altered um, by the artificial introduction of of Metaclorians. So okay. what we what we come to know as Snoke was basically one of those experiments gone a little wrong. He's Bizarro Palpatine. 
Bizarro Palpatine. That's a very good way of saying it. Uh, and the whole, we we're going to come to find out that the whole Ray being a Palpatine thing wasn't because somebody married and had sex with Palpatine himself, but it was one of these clones that manages to either escape or is freed by maybe Mando in a future episode when we raid another facility or something. I don't know. Um, okay. When he's young, before the introduction of midichlorians. Okay. So he didn't deform. Uh, and it's that clone that goes off, gets married, has a kid, and eventually becomes Ray. So... Sorry, I know that was okay. a very long outside there, but no. dude, that's what this is again. Like I said, or like you pointed out, in the absence of giving us solid answers, we're gonna invent our own, and that's some yeah. damn good, uh, wild conjecturing. So pat yourself on the back, thank you. Um, um no, I like all that, and, and that's like, look, part of what we love about Mandalorian is it's giving us the Star Wars we remember and love, but it's also introducing new elements or reintroducing certain elements. And what I love about this entire season of Mandalorian, and this is where I feel the hand of Filoni on this entire season is to so many fans, Star Wars is segmented. There's the movies, there's the comics, there's the books, there's the games to Dave Filoni. It's all Star Wars. It doesn't matter what medium it takes. It's all Star Wars. So when he's sitting to write a cool Star Wars story, there's no limitation of, oh, well, we can't use that character. She's in the comics. Oh, we can't use that person. They're, they're from uh, this novel. No, it's all Star Wars. So Cobb Vanth, who's only ever talked about in, in the Aftermath novels, bam, now he's in live action in the show. Uh, Bo-Katan, uh, Ahsoka, who were only cartoon characters before now, bam, now they're live action. It's all Star Wars. And... It's awesome for us longtime fans because we're like, hey, I love that character. They're getting like a new life. And it's awesome for people who are more casual Star Wars fans. It's like, oh, who's that? What's their story? Oh, there's a whole like seven seasons I should watch to go learn that. Okay, I guess I should go, you know, go watch that. Uh, it's, it's Darth Maul's um, alive. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's. It's awesome to see someone who to to completely shed all those um, artificial, uh, um, I can't think of words, separations uh, uh, between what is Star Wars. No, yeah, there you go. That's a word that works. No separators. Come on, we're talking Star Wars. (laughs) It's not a bathroom. Uh It's a refresher. Come on. Uh, but no, it, it, to see all those barriers get torn down and just no, it's it's all Star Wars, it's all fair game. So even though this story is is uh, we're not quite to the sequel territory yet, uh, and, and I don't think we'll ever brush up that much against the sequels, but we can kind of retroactively make certain things make a little more sense, or you know we can just hint to larger things happening in the universe, but maybe they're not part of this story. Um, but it's all Star Wars. I love that. Um. This, I just want to say, this episode introduces something that I recently read an article about, and the more I thought about it, I was like, that could make sense. I don't 100% agree with it, okay. but i throw it out there. All right. In in this episode, after the Mandalorian leaves uh, the planet, uh-huh. we cut to um, Moff Gideon yep. and his Imperial cruiser. Yep. And yeah, I yeah, the dark troopers. Okay, that's fine. 
But there is a female Imperial officer. Yes, there is. And she appears in more than just this episode. Yes, she and does. has speaking lines. And the article I read, which I'm not sure I'm 100% on board with yet, but we'll see where this goes. I feel like she's going to be a bigger part of season three. Um, but the article I read was that it's actually Sabine Wren undercover in the Empire trying to locate uh, Ezra Bridger. I think they'd spot her because she's already in the Imperial Records. Because she I, was like part of the Empire at well, the Academy. So, <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of the same rumors that you have uh, that uh, that it's it's supposed to be Sabine undercover. Um. If it is, okay. I mean, though, they would have to write their way around uh, Moff Gideon being able to detect her. Like, maybe he doesn't have access to all Imperial records anymore. It's entirely possible. Uh, if they want it to be Sabine, they could write it so. And I think it would be okay. Uh, I, I don't know if she is or not. Right. Because, you know, fan speculation being what it is, you know. Um You'd have to bend over backwards a lot to explain why her friends are raiding the ship she's on and she just disappears. She doesn't come to help them. She doesn't come to warn them off. She doesn't, like, she just literally, as soon as the assault starts, she just disappears. She does. She does disappear. Um, she does have speaking lines. She's in several episodes. The fact that she disappears uh, does tell me that there is something in store for that character. We're going to see her again. Whether it Hopefully. is Sabine or not, I don't know. Um, um, I really don't have any. There's nothing. There's nothing in any of her presence that gives us any meat to make any kind of actual speculations on. Um, as far as her leaving when her quote unquote friends, um, you know, attacked the ship, I could firmly see Sabine. If it was her saying, you know, this is not my mission. I know who's here. They've got this. They really don't need my help. Um, and my mission, my cover remaining intact is more important right now. I think it's fans just really wanting to put Sabine in it. I, I agree with that, too. And that's uh, yeah. okay, too. I just I just had to bring it up because it's a recurring character, and this is where we first get introduced to her. So. Yeah, I, I think it's just great to see a female Imperial officer for once and just fucking let it be that. That's true, too. Chicks can uh, be evil, too. That, well, uh, actually, yeah. oh. in, in, in an episode of this season, mm-hmm. uh, there's a reference to an Imperial Admiral. Okay. Uh, shit. I can't remember. Hang on. Uh, continue about your business. I'll come back to this. Okay. Playing with the toys. Um, well, yeah, we got a protocol droid as the teacher. We got to see a a revamped version of the troop transport. Uh, Scott troopers make a comeback. Uh, references to the maelstrom, X wings, tie fighters. Um, potentially the best chase scene, if not in this show, maybe in all of star Wars, uh, you know, the speeder bikes coming down the side of that mountain was badass. Yeah. Um, the Razor Crest makes its heroic return and saves the day, uh, which really sort of 
solidifies that the Razor Crest is a character in and to itself. Um, we get, uh, 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 sorry, Kara gets officially deputized into the New Republic. I think this is where the Rangers of the New Republic spinoff is going. Uh, as yeah. I think we'll be following uh, Kara and uh, whoever else she meets along the way. Uh, and then, of course, the big reveal at the end of the episode is uh, we see, not in a hologram, but actually see Moff Gideon and our first look at the Dark Troopers. So with that, we'll move oh, on. Try spinning. That's okay. a good move. <laughs> Sorry. I had to... <laughs> Uh, okay, we move on to chapter 13, The Jedi. No surprise, written and directed by Dave Filoni. Uh, because right off the bat, doesn't waste any time dicking around now. Ahsoka. Ahsoka! Played by Rosario Dawson. Because uh, <laughs> there's the line. Mando keeps dropping throughout the show. Wherever I go, he goes. Uh, referencing Grogu. Um Dave Filoni needs to have it on a t-shirt with a picture of Ahsoka because wherever he goes, she goes. Whatever show, project, whatever Dave Filoni works on, Ahsoka's going to pop up in it. And that's not a complaint. Uh, more, please. <coughs> uh, her opening scene is she's a just a total freaking badass. If you've never met her before, this scene will solidify why Ahsoka's a big deal. Uh, with her badass uh, dual-wielding white lightsaber blades just cutting through these guys like it's paper. Um, I love this whole opening. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you get that, the, the, the whole introduction of Ahsoka into this and uh, it's just so satisfying. Yeah. You know, you just watch it and you're like, you know, I don't care about the rest of the episode. I'm just going to rewind and watch that again. Can we just put this on? (laughs) I'm good with that. Well, and again, I, this episode is is um, someone talked about you know, why does Mandalorian feel more like Star Wars than the sequels did, and the uh, the idea they put forward, and and I totally agree with, is Mandalorian isn't trying to imitate other Star Wars. It's imitating the things that influenced Star Wars. This episode, that whole opening scene. And I have this in my notes. I'm going to quote directly from my notes. This feels Kurosawa as fuck. Uh, that whole <laughs> opening scene is straight out of a Kurosawa samurai movie, which and, is a huge yeah. inspiration for the Jedi and, and Star Wars. And then there's parts at the end where, because I, I, I love Ahsoka, but she overshadows what for me was the big moment of this episode is my boy, Michael Bean, is in Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Wearing a red outfit, looking very much like space Johnny Ringo. Um, but he gets into a, a sort of quick draw duel with Mando by the end of the episode. It's a Western mashed with some samurai stuff, mashed with some weird sci-fi shit, and that is Star Wars. It's not trying to imitate other Star Wars movies, other Star Wars properties. It's imitating the things that influenced Star Wars in the first place. And that's what feels more like Star Wars than certain sequels that are just sort of playing the hits of previous Star Wars movies. Um, I uh, had no idea that it was Michael Bean until the credits. Like, I thought it was. And I was just like, no. No. And then the more I listened to him, I was like, that might be. And then in the end credits, I was like, oh, it was. 
So Jay, it was just they gave cool. him, they gave him a pump action laser blaster, so he can keep yeah. it handy for close encounters. With with Amando, it didn't end well for him. It didn't, but it was awesome. Uh, that was my one big complaint: is oh really? Of all the people you could have killed, they'll leave him alive. I want to see more. Mike. I want to see more space, Johnny Ringo. Um, but uh, um, <clears throat> no, I love this episode. Uh, it, the big reveal from this episode is we finally get a name and a bit of a backstory for Baby Yoda. Uh, Grogu. Grogu rolls right, rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Grogu and the. The the big uproar from the fan community on this one was why not a Y name? You had Yoda and you had Yaddle. Come on now, uh, it's like who who cares? <laughs> it's a name. Grogu got it. All right, moving on. Fans will whine about whatever. And and it granted it did take a little getting used to because we've spent a year and a half calling him Baby Yoda, so um, or the child if you're Disney approved. Uh, so Grogu has a name. We get a bit of a backstory. Uh, raised and trained at the Jedi Temple. Some got him out of Temple before or during the Purge. Put a pin in that. Uh, and from there, his memory gets conveniently fuzzy until he turns up in Season 1 of Mandalorian. Um, but we also get a few other important things. Um, I have here in my notes. In my notes. Remember when Mando was just a bounty hunter? <laughs> Because yeah. the story's gotten so big, but when he walks up to the town and meets um, Michael Bean, whose character's name is Lang, but I'm just going to keep calling him Space Johnny Ringo. Uh, <laughs> you a bounty hunter then? Yep. Guild? Uh, I was like, oh yeah, he, he he's a bounty hunter. I remember that before the whole Creed and you know, all this stuff got blown out of proportion. He was just uh, just a bounty hunter. Yeah, I just thought that was fun. Yeah. Uh, He's still a bounty hunter. He's, he's just on hiatus right now because he's been charged <laughs> with a quest. Exactly. He's got a side quest to finish. Uh, but Mando gets his hands on his all Beskar spear, uh, which also comes into play for a really badass fight between Ahsoka and um, um, the, whatever she's called, the bad lady. I'm not good with names. Sorry. Uh, also, if we find out that Beskar can hold up to a laser sword. Yes, we get confirmation Beskar yep. is indeed uh, lightsaber resistant. No, no, resistant. laser sword. I have that written under playing with the toys. <laughs> it's yeah. the word laser sword comes back up. <clears throat> well, the whole, uh, you know, I, I love Mando going into the, the, the whole blocking with his uh, 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 bracers thing there Mm -hmm. uh they're not gauntlets because they don't actually go into the hands i'm gonna call it what i want to call it you can't i mean you can call them you know chicken nuggets if you want to he blocks them with his weapon bracelets okay (laughs) uh Um, his face swatch his space Um, swatch yeah, and th- again, uh, this is something that you know that people were uh, in season one. Uh, well, why is Beskar so important? Be like, oh, it's lightsaber proof, but we were never told or shown that. And, and like you pointed out, Jay, uh, very quickly in this episode, bam, there it is, confirmed. Yeah. Yep. 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 Also, I, I feel like this season has been a how many callbacks can we make to the Phantom Menace and just sneak in there 
without people even noticing. Like the fact uh, yeah, that uh, Mando called it a laser sword. Um, like and, I said in the previous episode, doing the spin. You know, do a spin. That always seems to work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, and I feel like that's... Uh, Dave Filoni is a guy who literally uh, um, came up as sort of the, the Padawan of George Lucas. And George Lucas always has a fondness for calling lightsabers laser swords. Because initially, that's what they were called. Uh, according to the legend, it was Alec Guinness who suggested they be called uh, lightsabers because it sounded better or less generic. Uh, but but Lucas loved to call them laser swords every once in a while. And this was written and directed by Dave Filoni, who is is, you know, the Padawan of, of Lucas. So we get the laser sword drop. We also get uh, under playing with the toys HK 87 droids, which I assume are the latest incarnation of the HK 47 droids from uh, Knights of the Old Republic even though they end up not really having much of an impact on the story, they were still there. And that is cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then we get. What? Go ahead. Uh, I was, I was going to say, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure given everything that we've seen throughout Clone Wars rebels and, and now this and stuff that uh, Dave Filoni really wants to bring Knights of the Old Republic fully back into Canon. Uh, he's doing it one piece at a time. Uh, wherever he can, eventually. yeah, but he'll get there eventually. Uh, I think he'll he'll yeah. bring it bring it all back in. Um, Ahsoka drops a cool line about um, alluding to Anakin, which is cool. She's saying, "I've seen what such feelings can do to a fully trained Jedi Knight, even to the best of us." Um, and then, of course, we get another epic name drop. Um, the same way Bo Katan name dropped Ahsoka Tano. And yeah, this episode, Ahsoka Tano, uh, in one question, gives us an awesome reference. They get the fanboys giddy, uh, in case they don't watch cartoons, in which case I don't think they should call themselves fanboys, uh, and gives us the motivation of what she's been up to for a while, which is when she wins her duel with Bad Guy Lady. I'm bad with names. Uh, and, and drops the question, where is your master? Where is Thrawn? It's in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's off break. <laughs> <Give my 20. laughs> so this this scene right here is why I personally do not believe that the uh, uh, female imperial officer is Sabine, uh, or at least it shouldn't be Sabine. Um, because at the end of Rebels, uh, Star Wars Rebels uh, Season 4 ends uh, right before Episode 4 starts. Uh, And then you have uh, a jump forward to post-Episode 6, where Sabine kind of gives you a rundown on, on where everybody's at, you know, up to that point. Um, right, and at right. the very end of the series, the very end of the episode, Ahsoka shows up to get Sabine because she's ready to go after Ezra. Um, mm-hmm. so Dave Filoni himself uh, has gone on record as saying that it is entirely possible that uh, season two of The Mandalorian occurs before that scene. Um, yep. yep. 
So, uh, and, and I tend to agree with him. I, I believe that Ahsoka is out in the world doing what she's been doing, trying to find a lead on Thrawn because she knows that if she finds Thrawn, she finds Ezra or at least a key to finding Ezra, mm-hmm. um, which uh, personally, I believe that the Ahsoka spinoff series um, will, will deal with events uh, hopefully post the rebels scene. So either, either we'll start out at the beginning of the series with her going and getting Sabine, and then we'll see that journey or the first season of that show will be the filler kind of filling in the gap of, of what Ahsoka, you know, between Mandalorian and that, that the, the, the end of the first season will be her going and getting Sabine. Either way, but but that is why I don't think that that female officer was Sabine because I don't think Sabine is looking for Ezra yet. She's still dealing with other stuff, and Ahsoka hasn't gone to get her yet. So, well, we've Fair been told enough. the Ahsoka series will take place in the timeline of Mandalorian, so I don't think we're going to get any big time jumps forward or backwards. Maybe backwards to fill in some gaps, but. Uh, because they're supposed to that Ahsoka, uh, Mando, and Rangers of the New Republic are all supposed to dovetail together into one big uh, story event. But we'll find yeah. out. Which is fine. Filoni likes need... to be crafty. Yeah, he does. And we don't need uh, a time jump because that scene, you know, at the end of Rebels where she goes to get Sabine could literally take place the day after her episode of Mandalorian. I mean, I don't think so, but what I'm saying is it could. Um, we don't need time jumps because we're already six years after the Battle of Endor. So, mm-hmm. you know. Well, <clears throat> all of your right. questions all will come to time. So, chapter 14, The Tragedy, written by John Favreau, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, Jay, I have a feeling you might have a few comments on this episode. Yeah. Because uh, one guy kind of steals the whole episode. Yep. I. I'm not gonna lie. I totally lost my shit when Slave One right. came flying in through the atmosphere. Uh, I was, I was gonna say, I would pay money to be sitting next to Jason when <laughs> all of a sudden someone's coming. Look up to the sky, and Slave One just comes flying in. Like I would pay money to see your face. Oh, it was jaw on the floor. Me looking at Megan, going, "Holy shit! It's Slave One! Holy shit!" And just we, like we'd been. Yeah, we'd all been wondering, uh, was that little tease at the end of the first episode all we're going to get of Boba Fett this season? Uh, And it was looking like maybe because we hadn't heard anything from him uh, up until this episode. And this episode uh, was just, bam, mic drop. Uh, So we get him coming in. (laughs) We get the return of uh, Fennec Shad from last season, uh, played by Ming-Na Wei, (coughs) a.k.a. the original Mulan. It's got a cool new helmet. I'm not sure why, but it looks cool. Uh, and she has cyborg abs now. Also not sure why, but they look cool. Uh, and then we get into uh, my favorite line. I don't want your armor. I want my armor. <laughs> uh, which was cool. And then again, we get you know some of Mando's old creed. Uh, being like, you're not a Mandalorian. You can't have that armor. Um which leads me to my other big unanswered question of this episode and a lot of this season. So Mando just leaves his ship open 
Whatever he lands just walks off, leaves the door wide open. Yeah. I mean, I ain't hating well, because we get that hate- awesome shot of Boba Fett taking his armor back, but every time he lands, I've never seen him close the door. First of all, hang on. Okay. By, the, by this point in this series, that ship can barely seal. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's been repaired. It's been fully repaired no, at that point. No, no, no. Yes. We do not know it's been fully repaired. It's been repaired enough to be flight worthy. But Mando and Grogu are always in the cockpit, which is the only thing to conceal. So nothing up to this point tells us it's been fully repaired to the point that, that the cargo hold of the rest of that ship can actually seal to a vacuum yet. You get out of here. The entire purpose of the end of the previous episode where he shows up to save the day in the Razor Crest is, bam, look at me. I'm fixing. I'm shiny again. So shut up, Scott. Sorry. Uh, shiny equals repaired. <laughs> um, I just want to throw out that. Yes. I think my, not just my favorite thing, but like was Boba Fett. Just being a total badass without his armor with the gaffy stick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dude. just beating the shit out of people. And, you know, we finally get payoff of why Boba Fett is such a feared bounty hunter from Empire. And it's sort this of. This is his. This episode is his Rogue One hallway. Yeah. For yeah. sure. It's like, then once he gets the armor on. It my jaw hit the floor again. Like yeah. I'm like this guy, he has more guns and shit on his armor than I ever imagined. Like when he just like bends his knee and shoots a yeah. guy. I have that in the yep. playing with the toys. We we finally yep. get to see the knee darts in action. Oh, yeah. Never, uh, never underestimate a fully armed and armored bounty hunter. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yeah, he's. We we establish he's he's an old beat up man with a stick, and he tears through stormtroopers. Which again, I I said put a pin in it, but this is the episode where I think it's confirmed now. The armor on stormtroopers is purely decorational; uh, <laughs> serves no purpose at all. He's an old man with a stick, and he's just beating the shit out of him. Um, guys need to get better plastic. That's all I'm saying. And so he's already a badass enough as is, with just with a stick, just just clean it up. And then he looks to the side, he sees the razor crest is open, and we know what's coming. But we're not ready for it. Uh, when he yeah. literally has his Iron Man moment and lands in and we oh. get that low angle shot looking up at him back in the armor. And it's just like, oh, fuck. Uh, and then just we, pure, pure badassery. We also got uh, another laugh out loud moment for me. Okay. Uh, when he, when the, you know, the stormtroopers are piecing the fuck out. They're like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And they get in their troop carriers and, you know, they're thinking they're safe. And Boba just steps up. And uh, I was thinking about what Scott said about Cobb Vanth bending at the waist. And he did the same thing. Not Uh, not to the same extent, but yes, he did. Yes, sort of bent at the waist to shoot. And it took out both ships. And then Mando goes, nice shot. And... Boba says, "I was I was aiming for the other one. I've I lost it. I just freaking started laughing. I was like, that's awesome.' <laughs> and um, something else I did not notice till my rewatch is when you if you watch the scene where he puts down the targeting reticle, he really did aim for the other ship. Yep, because <laughs> it locks in on the other ship, so his well, armor so, may be a little glitchy. 
So here's one thing that that, that I get into uh, upset when it comes to the, the the fandom and the internet community on is because I saw a lot of things after this episode aired about this and uh, several places basically said, oh, we finally get to see him using the targeting reticle. We, you know, you never it's always in the opposition. That's not true. He uses the reticle in Empire Strikes Back because when he is in Slave One in Empire Strikes Back, he ties it to the navigational system. Yeah. It's in the down position and he's using it. Yep. Yeah. Fake nerds. Um and there's there's a, there's an aspect of his armor from old EU that I'm really hoping uh if Dave Filoni has any hand in uh, one of the offshoot series that's coming up that we know now, but we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, is that in the old EU, uh, Boba Fett's helmet allowed him full three hundred and sixty degree vision. You could not sneak up on Boba Fett, which uh kind of lends itself to the fact that he shoots at the end of the fight. You know, uh, in this he. He shoots the stormtrooper completely off to his left without turning his head. Because I've had one of those very, helmets on. You can't see shit. <laughs> at the very least, he's got little indicator lights on, like a car does when there's something <laughs> of in your blind side. So it alerts him. There's hey, hey, something's off to your left. Um, see, and we can thank the locusts for that. <laughs> see, it's a callback. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh yeah no it's uh it's it's awesome and it also gives us another uh answer to a burning question which is what the fuck is going on with Django and boba and their relationship if any to mandalore um you know, for decades they were the only examples we had of mandalorians and then in clone wars at the behest of george lucas we were told no they aren't real mandalorians and then in this episode, we're kind of given an explanation, which is that Boba's armor is confirmed to be Django's armor, mm -hmm. um, which was given to Django. Uh, Django was a foundling who fought in the Mandalorian Civil Wars, which is why, even though uh, Boba gives zero fucks about Mandalore or the Creed or any of that shit, um, Din is okay giving the armor back to him because he shows him his chain code and that that armor has been in his family uh, uh, for, for generations. Uh, it's a legacy kind of thing. Uh, so it gives us the best explanation yet of what is the Mandalore status of Boba and Django. Yeah. Uh, and it builds towards a rivalry we'll see in the final episode uh, with some other people who are very much on the other end of that spectrum. Uh, also, Rip... Razor Crest. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. So I don't sad. know what's sadder, Queel in season one or the Razor Crest dying in season two, but oh, just when we're getting to Razor. know him. Poor Razor, Razor Crest. It was so it was yeah. it was unceremonious too. It was just Yep. It's like here, just just fuck that ship up. <laughs> And 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 not only that, but also moment of silence. Mando lost his rifle. Oh, he did. yeah, the pulse rifle. Yeah. So if you're a proper nerd who was all excited for Mando and you went all in and backed the Razor Crest toy from uh, Haslab and then backed the $120 Nerf gun, 
you're pretty pissed right now because guess what? They both got blown up. They're both gone. Both I only love one, that rifle. Only one thing that we know of was salvaged from the wreckage of the Razor Crest. Two. Two things. Two? What was the other one? This, the spear the little, and the little ball. Oh, sorry, I forgot about the yeah. spear. Yeah. It was the ball yeah. that I was thinking of. I forgot all about the yeah. spears. <laughs> Those are the two most important things on that ship, and they both made it. Um, but it does leave me one burning question, and this is more of a nitpick than a question, I guess. So, Mando takes off his jetpack because Boba tells him to, so they can have a talk. Okay, fine. So then later, uh, Mando is trying to run up the hill to get to Gregory before the dark troopers get to him, and he doesn't have his jetpack to get up there. Okay, fine, sure. Only in episode two, they showed us that he can control the jetpack with his wrist uh, slap bracelet. Well, they controlled, the, they showed that he could, could fire, he could activate it, not really control it. No, he was flying it. Was he flying yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. But, but what would he, that do? He, 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 he could literally call it to him like Mjolnir. Well, he could call it to him. Hey, fly but... this way. I'll grab onto you. I'll grab onto you. Because everyone's like, well, he didn't have time to run back and get his jetpack. He can literally just have it come to him. Well, yeah, but I mean, what's or he going to do? He could, just, he could just try to put it on. I mean, what if he can't put it on by himself? What if he can't put it on while he's wearing the armor? He put it on by himself wearing the armor in the last episode of season one. He did? He, he yeah. just puts it on his back and it clicks into place like Cap in the shield. Uh, I forgot about that. Oh, shit. Yeah. Never mind. That blows my theory out of the water. All right, cool. <laughs> See if I can. Uh, look, story-wise, I get it. But come on, guys. Consistency here. He uh, didn't think about it. He, yeah, he is, yeah, clearly. He is only a foundling, after all. Dank Farrick. Um, so, finally, <laughs> at the end of the episode, somebody owes Mando a favor for a change, which brings us to episode... Sorry, chapter 15, The Believer. Uh, real or as quick. I call Yes. Sorry, real quick. Uh, a, a thought occurred to me right before you get on the jetpack thing. If okay. the spear and the knob, the, the shifter knob, are the uh-huh. only two things that survived the Razor Crest destruction, does that mean the shifter knob is also made of Beskar? Yes. Confirmed 100%, yes. Yep, oh, sure. Cool. All right, cool. <laughs> or they just had plot armor, one or the other. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to go with Beskar shifter knob, because... Yeah, we it's have like some Han Solo's dice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so chapter 15, The Believer, directed by Rick Fuma. I always have trouble his name. Fuma Yua um, and directed by Rick Fuma Yua. <clears throat> I'm sorry, bro. I'll, I'll learn it at some point. Um, and the big Fumigator. thing with this episode. Sorry, what? Rick Fumigator. Yeah. Yep. The big thing with this episode is Mayfeld is back from season one because we needed an Imperial to help us break into a base to get onto a computer to find out where we go for the finale. I mean, where we can go to find um, uh, Moff Gideon. Sorry. <clears throat> Turns out um, he didn't actually need to be there, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. Look, I don't... Mayfeld's a cool character. I like what they did with him in this episode, but this episode, to me, as much as, as episode two, felt like, okay, we're really just spinning our wheels now. At the end of the previous episode, 
the bad guys kidnap Grogu. We're teaming up with Boba Fett to go get him. And then this episode is just like, okay, we just had to fill time because we're not the finale yet. Uh, I like this episode. I like what we did with Mayfeld in it, but it really felt like we're spinning our wheels. And I think it actually ended up hurting some moments in the finale, but we'll get to that. Um, but what I liked about this is this episode is very much the A-team in space. We're putting the crew together to pull a job. And uh, uh, we we got to sneak somebody on board the plane. we, we got to go break out Murdoch from the prison, uh, from the mental hospital. You know... One of my favorite things from the episode was Boba's shiny new armor. Oh, yeah. yes. The repaint. Uh, maybe this might be a hot take, but that armor looks way better than the original trilogy armor does. Yeah, it's yeah. slick. It's real nice. It looks, it looks it's real yes. nice, Clark. <laughs> yeah, and it got a lot of hate from the fandom. They're dumb. It looks awesome. I know, but there's a lot of people out there like, man, his armor should be scuffed up. I don't like it all shiny and new. You know what? Shut up. It looks awesome. It's not like new. It's used for a new cut of paint on it. Shut up. And, John, to go back to your question, is is it Beskar? I think his helmet oh, yeah. might at least be because it's still got the dent in it. That That's um, a good theory. But, uh, so we we kind of know where the dent came from. Um, because Filoni tried to write that story, and then they canceled Clone Wars. So it isn't officially in canon, but in Filoni's mind, and this could always be made canon at any point with Filoni, uh, it was from a, a failed duel with Cad Bane. Um, and the, the blaster bolt left an indentation, which I don't think Beskar would leave an indentation. It has I don't yet. know. Yeah, um, but sorry, uh, no. That question of is his is is uh, Boba's armor Beskar? Uh, again, going with my theory of if the armor is old enough, it's probably Beskar. Uh, given that the armor was given to Jango by the Mandalorians uh, when he was a foundling, I think that lends credence to it's probably Beskar. Well, and if it is Beskar. Um... And we're going with with Filoni's unproduced uh, storyline that it was it was dented in a a, a duel with Cad Bane. If anybody is going to have a weapon that can be used against Beskar, so even remotely effectively, it's Cad Bane. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another character I'm dying to see brought back in. Yeah, because you know don't don't forget that that you know young Boba Fett received quite a bit of. Uh, uh, training, I guess you could call it, but uh, a good portion mm-hmm. of his education from Cad Bane, Ara Singh, uh, and um, Bosk. So, yep, tutelage, yep. tutelage. That was a good one. Um, and then, but, uh, gotcha. I was just gonna say the big thing I wanted to point out in this episode, and also when I watched it and thought about it again, and it was pointed out. I read this article about it. Uh, Pedro Pascal's acting in this one was mm-hmm. very good after he took his helmet off to scan the yeah, face. I got, a, I got issues with that. Um, but what I really liked about this episode, uh, the big takeaway is this is another great episode, another great piece of Star Wars storyline that illustrates why the Empire are the bad guys. Yeah, They've got the cool armor and the cool vehicles. We get it. They can be seductive. But here's why they're bad guys. Uh, we get the character of uh, Valen Hess, the officer, 
Um, and I forget the actor's name, but he just exudes douchebaggery, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Everyone is just rooting uh, for Mayfeld to just shoot the guy already by the end of that speech. Uh, but it does a great job of, of uh, reiterating the mentality of the Empire and why the Empire are the bad guys to begin with. And I love Mayfeld and Mando's, for lack of a better term, chemistry. Uh, it's a lot of Mayfeld talking at Mando. Uh, but I love what he's saying. He's got lots of uh, really cool let that soak for a while things like uh, or sayings. Sorry. Um, seems to me like your rules start to change when you get desperate. Uh, everyone's got their lines. They don't cross uh, until things get messy. We all need to sleep at night after he blows up the whole thing. Um, never thought you'd be happy to see stormtroopers. Uh, he's, he's his way of thinking is he, he is very much a, a pragmatist and he's very much a, his thing, whole thing of, you know, look, if you're born on Alderaan, you believe one thing. Uh, if you're born on Mandalore, you believe another at the end of the day, nothing really matters. Uh, and that's a very interesting ideology to butt up with Mando who has been very dogmatic. Um, and then we see the biggest sign of change in him in this episode, of course, when he takes his helmet off to have his face scanned. Um, which I've got issues with, but what do you guys think about the rest of that? Um, sorry, the only thing that was going through my mind was Slave One Seismic Charge. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm playing with the toy section. Yep. yep. I, I'm sorry. I couldn't. As, like, no, that's fine, dude. It's a good episode. And I, yeah, I like what Mayfield, Mayfeld's saying. And I'm glad he shot that officer. And, like, yeah, it's it's stupid that it's going to scan his face and it doesn't matter whose face it scans. And yeah, then, I've got... you know, Mayfeld shows up and the officer doesn't even recognize him anyway. And you're just like, what the hell is going on here? It was so, just weird. The whole Yeah, the whole face scan thing pisses me off for some reason. First of all, it's we got to scan a face to access this computer. Okay, fine. So he takes his helmet off to scan the face. And at first it's like, oh, okay, this kind of illustrates, just like um, uh, Mayfeld says, um, everyone's got their lines they don't cross until things get messy. And this is sort of like getting Grogu back is so important to Mando. Uh, he's willing to lax his own creed. Uh, the ends justify the means a bit. It's the first time we see that sort of crack in his armor. But then it scans his face, and I'm unclear how the face scan works. Is it supposed to recognize you? Does that mean Mando was somewhere in the Imperial uh, Rolodex of faces to recognize? Or is it, uh, we know Cara, uh, Cara Dune can't go because she's registered to the New Republic. So is it just we got to scan your face and you're not working for the other team? Or you're working for our team? How does that work? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I I didn't. I think the face scan thing was was eh. It seemed a little forced, just because we we want to show that 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 internal turmoil to him. Do I take my helmet off or not? It's my creed, but getting Grogu back is more important. So that whole thing. Uh, the big the thing that killed me though is why would you put this 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 kiosk that 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 uh non-commissioned officers have yeah. access yeah why would you put it in an office in the o club basically uh the the place where 
non-commissioned officers aren't really supposed to go. I don't get that. We had it in we had it in a public area, Scott, and a lot of weird things were getting looked up. Uh, you know, <laughs> they never cleared their browser history. Yeah, it was a mess. Uh, a lot of Mon Calamari triple X stuff looked up that they can't really, you know. Oh. So. Anywho, <laughs> uh, my, my bigger my my bigger issue is given the moment we get at the end of the next episode, having Mando take his helmet off this episode kind of undercuts that. Because uh, I still believe his helmet should only come off rarely to make it a more powerful thing when it does. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, also, yeah. one last thing to name drop this episode, TPS reports. Yeah. Well, you know. funny. Um, yeah. Yeah. Although I do love, I loved it when they were sitting at the table and the, the officer was going through his spiel. And everything and you and, and Mayfeld was just getting more and more it was just his his PTSD was just just making him twitch and finally he's like fuck it you're dead and he just yep, shoots yep. the guy and I'm like oh yeah things went sideways this is how a Star Wars mission is supposed to go oh, oh. <laughs> I also love there's there's a good like five seconds after he shoots him when everyone around is just like wait what did he just hunt? Like, there's that confusion of, did he just shoot that guy? <laughs> Before they all kick in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, and then they start. Maybe one of the. God, sorry. No, they, they got to go out. They got to go out through the window and you get the sniper cover yeah. and everything. That that yeah. whole X bill was, was wonderful. Yeah. And then uh, Mayfeld with his uh, hand me that rifle. Everybody has to sleep at night. Just yeah. blows it all. It's great. Overall, I was I was happy with this episode. I liked it. I liked what they did. Um, uh, I liked them bringing Mayfeld back. I, I still feel like between Mayfeld uh, and, uh, of course, Boba Fett and um, uh, the the Frog Lady and her husband, I, I still think we're 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 filling out uh, a a cast of of other characters that can be brought back for, for other things. We'll see some of them probably in season mm-hmm. three. Well, uh, there's a whole uh, rest of that crew that Mayfell was with in season one that we haven't seen. So yeah, I would imagine if you bring Mayfell back in season three, it's them coming after Mando. Um, and, um, uh, but this whole episode I was fine with, I thought it was a, a, a decent episode. Um, but yeah, just the, the whole, interfacing with the kiosk scene was like the, the biggest mm-hmm. hang up with the episode that that's the only hang up. And if, if that's the only hang up, uh, I'm okay with it. I, I can continue on. I'm good. Oh, I thought you were this other guy. Oh, Hey Mando. Oh shit. <laughs> uh, all right, then here we go. Finally getting to it. It's the episode that lit the internet on fire. Chapter 16, The Rescue, written by John Favreau, directed once again by Peyton Reed. Uh, it starts with uh, what sounds like a setup to a joke, uh, which is two Mandalorians walking to a bar. They did. That's all I got. Uh, and everyone runs out. <laughs> uh, actually, this is, 
didn't it start with Slave One chasing a shuttle? Shut up, Jay. It's funnier this way. God, I'm sorry. God, yes, it was it awesome. Okay, uh, Slave One's the shit. <laughs> all right. God, there I said it. Slave <laughs> One's better sorry. than Millennium Falcon. I said it. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hot take coming at you. Um, no, this this is an episode that hits the ground running because we spun our wheels a lot last episode again not to say that was a bad episode but we want to get to it so here we are getting to it um and i have written down here and and with an asterisk boma's repainted armor is cooler than the og um yeah good idea taunt the pissed off trooper with a blaster to your head i had that written down too uh i believe that goes to jay's uh uh chasing down the shuttle scene um and then uh, apparently uh, the, uh, the conversation in Clerks about uh, independent contractors on the Death Star may or may not have been confirmed in this episode. So that it's got great. that going. Uh, but uh, so we, we quick, quickly meet up with uh, Bo-Katan and um, Casca, but not Axe. He just apparently disappeared. Uh, we reestablished the, the Mando yeah, uh, we reestablished the Mandalore uh, Mando plot. Uh, uh, established Boba doesn't give a fuck. Uh, he hears them. T- he, you know, he hears uh, Bo Katan talking about reclaiming Mandalore. He's like, Mandalore, that piece of shit. You want to go back there? <laughs> he walks in. You're not a Mandalore. Never said I was. Um, yep. just, just a great, uh, and I love the dynamic for what it means for um, <clears throat> for Din. Because you've got now essentially opposite ends of the spectrum. You've got Bo Katan, where uh, being a Mandalore and Mandalorian pride and all that is <clears throat> the most important thing in the world and reclaiming the glory of Mandalore. And then you've got Boba, who could give a fuck. He just doesn't care. Uh, and somewhere in the middle, uh, we'll find Din, hopefully. Um, um. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm gonna delve into uh, one of my uber nerdy things here with with, with okay. this part of this episode when they're in the bar, cafe, restaurant, whatever it is, uh-huh. because I, I found uh, uh, something popped up in my feed the other day, and uh, and, and I, I couldn't help but go through this um, the 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 video menu board that's on the back wall behind their table when they mm-hmm. they first walk in. Uh, that's been translated. Oh, okay. So the menu items that are in Uh-oh. this bar, uh, and, and if you want, you can look it up on on YouTube. Uh, it, it, the, the the video is there. Uh, it, up, starting at the top top left, there's two columns. So starting at the top left, going down. The first one is Kadu ribs. Kadu being the creatures that the Gungans ride on Naboo in the Phantom Menace. So you can get Kadu ribs. The next one is Gort, which is a legends creature from the planet Ithar, which is where the Ichthorians are from, the the, the hammerhead shark people. Mm -hmm. So the the Gort had been brought back into canon. Uh, Roast roast Nunya, which is the the creature that Jabba is eating uh, in the Phantom Menace when he's uh, when when you remember he he starts the the, the tank thing. race, yeah he starts the race by biting the head off one of them and spitting yep. it at the gong. So, so yeah, there there's there's yeah 
There's another, yet another uh, callback to the Phantom Menace for you, Jay. Uh, they're, they're thrown in there. Uh, there's something called there's something called Gotta Stew, which uh, couldn't find any reference to that anywhere. The next one is Endorian Yip Yip, which is actually served uh, at Galaxy's Edge. You, yep. you can one of the bars is Endorian Yip Yip, which uh, I think is like a fried chicken on a plate of veggies or something. Um. There is uh, a, a shock kebab. So the shock is the creature that Anakin kind of tries to surf on, on Naboo in uh, Attack of the Clones when he and Padme are, are hiding out. Remember, he's the big bulbous things. Uh-huh. Those are shafts. Uh Yoba shrimp. I uh, couldn't find anything to that. Uh, space waffles is the last one in that, that first column. Um which, if you actually look back, there's 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 a couple of scenes in the final season of Clone Wars where people are eating, and it's like a very waffle looking thing on their plate. Um, top of the next column is uh, um, uh, Melu Run juice. Hey, yeah, we know that from Rebels. Yeah, which you can get that at Galaxy's Edge as well, as far as I know. A um, couple others, roasted CD and and Haroon bread. We don't know what that is. Uh, Lamta, uh, Arisha, Kushnip with Frawl, which is supposedly served at uh, Maz Kanata's place in um, uh, Force Awakens. I don't know how they confirm that. Um, but the last two is polystarch and veg meat. So polystarch is the dehydrated bread that, that Ray eats in the Force Awakens. And uh, uh, Vegemite is a protein ration, military protein ration, which polystarch as well. And the source material for that is uh, The Force Awakens, the Visual Dictionary. Uh, so, yeah, that's what's served on that menu back there. You can get nice. a... It, it's it's Every, like... Everybody got that? It's, it's He'll be back variety. to take your order at the end, so... <laughs> wide variety of stuff from throughout the Star Wars galaxy. Um... I would say favorite points of this episode would be uh, Mando's fight with the Dark Trooper and then finally using the spear to dispatch it and then launching the rest out the airlock. Um, And then, of course, his You're getting way ahead of us. Dark Troopers. Let's talk about them for a second. Yeah, uh, they are essentially Terminators in Star Wars, uh, and if you if you didn't if you if you missed that connection or similarity, don't worry. We're gonna have a shot where one is wreathed in flames, staring at the camera with giant glowing red eyes. Do, do you get the connection yet? You get it. Um, they're also kind of a Battlestar Galactica callback because they're kind of like Cylons, uh, and also the uh, the ship that they're on launches the Tie Fighters out of a tube. Like Bastard Galactica. Okay, just wanted to point that out. That was fun. Um, and then uh, I was very confused when Boba Fett just flies off uh, yeah. until the thing happens at the end. And then I was like, oh, okay. We're trying to avoid an awkward reunion. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> but no, that whole fight with the Dark Troopers, because uh, we've built them up as such a threat. Um, and I thought they did a great job of Din fighting one of them exhausted his entire arsenal, basically, to take one of them out. 
And then I was like, you know, wow, really lucky we had that jettison everyone control right there on the wall. Yeah. Uh, but they they'll bring it. Uh, you know, they they circle back around literally because I was I was very sort of like, wait, seriously, are we done with them already? All that build up and that's it. He fought one of them. We just jettison the rest into space. Sorry, sorry, John Favreau. <clears throat> I'll never doubt you again. <clears throat> uh, and then we get to the scene with Gideon. Uh, which I think just is perfect illustration of why Gideon is such a great villain. Um, his line, which I loved, assume I know everything, uh, is what makes him such a great villain. Because he does know everything. Even stuff that I'm sort of like, I don't know how you would know that, other than the writer of this episode wanted you to know that. Uh, but I totally fell for the whole take the child, I've got what I want thing. Totally fell for that. I was like, oh, okay, we're, we're going to do this, okay? and then And then, you know, takes a swing at him and, and went a different direction, but we finally got to see the Darksaber in action, which was awesome. <clears throat> and, uh... Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to say, so, talking about the Darksaber in action, you know, when we're when we're seeing that fight, which was a great fight, mm-hmm. by the way, um, one thing that I found very interesting, and I was noticing this even the first time that I watched the episode, was that when you know, the dark saber is in contact for a prolonged period of time with, um, the, uh, the, the, spear. the best spear. It yeah. heats it up. It does. And Ahsoka's lightsabers did not. They did not. Yeah. I noticed that. So, I mean, obviously the dark saber is, is, is a little different from a normal lightsaber. We know that obviously it's got the, the black blade and stuff, but, I think I don't think that was a throwaway. Uh, I think um, where there's plans for the dark saber as far as its history and backstory uh, and everything um, that has been planted as a seed in that heat up. Um, It'll come out later, but yeah, I was just going to say shout out to Mando's improvisational skills with fighting with that giant spear uh, I'd have to say one of my favorite moves was the kick it from behind you to in front of you as an attack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he just sort of yeah. swung it around on like an, like a 180 degree arc. Um, that was sweet, sweet move, sweet moves, Mando. <laughs> um, we also get, I think a slightly better look at what <clears throat> Gideon's end game is. Because this is something I've been trying to figure out for a while now. Is, is Yeah, he's the bad guy. I get it. But what's his goal? What's he working towards? <clears throat> he wants to be a grand moff. Right. I mean, uh, like well, he can just make himself a grand moff at this point. He can make himself whatever he wants at this point. No one's going to question him. Uh, but he has a line. We're talking about uh, Grogu. Uh, he says, Grogu's blood has the potential to bring order back to the galaxy. Um. I really I still, think his end game is bringing back Palpatine. Yeah, I still think that just lends more credence to those uh, the 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 things in the vats being clones of Palpatine, and they're trying to figure out how to make the clones force sensitive. Uh, yes, and I so I, I just bring that up. I've heard so many people say, "Oh, he wants to be a Jedi. Oh, he wants Mandalorian or Mandal- He wants Mandalorians for himself. He wants to use the Forest." And I'm like, "That's too small scale. 
Like this, the whole everything about Gideon is big picture, and and just I want to be a Jedi. That seems way too limited in thinking for for this guy. I think his end game is trying to re uh, to bring back the Emperor. Um, but that's just me conjecturing wildly. So uh, um, move on. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say too. I think you also get a bigger picture of he attacks Din Mando. Because mm-hmm. I don't think his intention was to... Well, I mean, if he killed him, that would have been a bonus. But I think he gave up the Darksaber, knowing that it was Bo-Katan that wanted it. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, I think Which he brings lost up other fight. issues. He he lost the fight, and he was fully expecting to be killed. Because he, he has a line where, where Mando you know, hesitates, and he says, Oh, you're sparing my life? This is interesting. Like he fully thought, oh, okay, I'm dead now. Um, so I don't think he planned to give up the saber at all. Um, okay. But let's let's get to it. The thing we've been dancing around. <sighs> Grogu called for help, and help came. To quote Cara Dune, one X-wing, great, we're saved. Yes, <laughs> yes, you yes, are, you are. Cara Dune, because on that X-wing, it's fucking Luke Skywalker. Uh, and I'm getting to- choked up just saying it out loud. Uh, but full on Return of the Jedi, Luke is back. better. Better than Return of the Jedi, Luke. He's yeah, he's stuff. done some training in the off season. Yeah. Um, it's what we waited 37 years to see is finally uh, full Jedi badass Luke. Not only full badass, but I mean, you know, the the if if you look at his his saber movements, they're not mm-hmm. really outlandish. They're very precise. They're very controlled. Uh, there's very little wasted movement in what he does. Um, like his dad's, yeah, yeah. Well, and but like his dad, though, if if you look, he does a behind the back blaster shot parry. Yep, yes, that is. That is a complete mimic of uh, Anakin's uh, uh, behind-the-back parry uh, from Revenge of the Sith on Mustafar. Mm-hmm. It's just a just beautiful, the exact same move. Yes. And uh, if uh, if the Dark Troopers were supposedly made out of Beskar, it must have been some kind of uh, weak alloy because his lightsaber had no problem cutting right through those things. Yeah, I don't think they were made out of Beskar. That was the theory of, of uh, why were, why were they hoarding Beskar? It was, it was to make them, but uh, I think that's debunked now because Luke went right through him like a hot knife through butter. Yep, <clears throat> um, it was awesome. Well, and then of course he's got the he, he get the one where he just reaches out with the force and crushes the chassis. Yes. So so then ah. this 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 has a has a callback to two things. Uh, yeah. One and and as far as I know, it's not considered canon. But in the first Clone oh, the, Wars movie, Genny Tartofsky animated Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mace Windu does the same thing to uh, General Grievous, which is why he has the cough. Which is why he has the cough. So we've seen it before, and that could be inspiration. But there's an old EU. Uh, thing to is to a lesser degree, but in the old EU there was a I, I believe it was a comic I believe it was one of the Dark Horse comics and I don't remember if it was Dark Empire or not but um uh Han Leia Chewie 
Luke. They were all they were on Coruscant uh, during I think it was during the fall of Coruscant when when the the New Republic was trying to to had pushed into the core. They were retaking the planet, um, and they were they were at the Falcon, and they were the Imperial forces were closing down on them, uh, and they were trying like hell to get off planet. And they're loading up the Falcon with everything, and uh, um, Han is like screaming, "Where's Luke? You know, has anybody seen Luke? We gotta, you know, we gotta get out of here and everything like that." And, and an AT-AT uh, shows up uh, and and points blasters at them, you know, and 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 over the comm, the Imperials are telling them to stand down. And of course, Han kind of freezes because you've got an AT-AT just staring at you with those big ass cannons. Uh, and all of a sudden, Luke appears. He just, uh, just like from thin air, because he was using the force to make everybody ignore him. Uh, and he reaches out with his hand, and he literally crushed the ATAT. Just, just, just brought it right down. Co- collapsed the legs in on itself. Collapsed the the interior like a like like a can. So the. I thought when I first saw it, that's what I thought of because, well, I'm old. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it was, it was to a lesser extent, of course, but I saw that and I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's part of the loop that I remember from the old EU. So I enjoyed yeah. uh, the reach out and crush, reach out and crush them. That was, I enjoyed it too. Uh, maybe for more simple reasons of, Oh, that was cool. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was it was just great because we talked about this and the what you know what do we want from Star Wars, uh, and I said I wanted you know old EU Luke and this is definitely old EU Luke. This is the young, optimistic, hopeful Luke we all want to see, and I loved it. Uh, I don't want to harp on it because everyone's been talking about it, but uh, it was I never thought they'd go there. I never thought they'd do it. Um, literally, when the X wing shows up, I was like. Could it be? No, no, no. It's just an X-Wing. Everyone flies X-Wings. It could be anybody. And then we had the cloak. And at first, when I saw the cloak, I was like, oh, it's Ahsoka. Because apparently the Empire only has black and white security monitors. Uh, so I was like, oh, it's a white light. It's Ahsoka. And then we cut back. I'm like, oh, those are black and white monitors. It's a green lightsaber. And then my heart was like, dare I hope to hope. And then I was like, well, hold on, hold on. Ezra's lightsaber was green too. It'll be Ezra. It'll be some old guy playing Ezra, and that'll be the reveal. And then, like the third or fourth shot, it starts on a close up of the black gloved hand holding that lightsaber. And I was like, <gasps> and I had to pause so I could get the crying out and finish the episode because I was just like, nope, they they did it. I, I didn't think they were going to do it just because it, it felt kind of on the nose. And and it was like ah it'd be awesome but ah like my heart had been trained not to hope but Filoni and Favreau told me to hope again because Luke is back and it's awesome. Uh, um, what I think my feelings can be wrapped up in a text that I think I sent to both of you guys. Um, <laughs> that was uh, it might not be the one you're thinking of, but the text oh, okay. I sent was. Um, I wasn't surprised, but it was surprising. Fair enough. Uh, and yes, the CGI looked like shit, and nope, I don't care. I agree. So go ahead care. and get that right out of the way. Don't care. I know it's not Mark Hamill from 1983. I don't care. 
Uh, I will say if if this is more than just a one-off appearance by a character, if they are going to bring Luke in in any kind of recurring role in any of these shows, which I really hope they do, uh, go ahead and recast him, guys. You, you gave Mark Hamill his swan song. We, we got a chance to to sort of redeem Last Jedi a little bit. Just recast him. It's fine. It's okay. Uh, and then one last thing I want to address before we, we, we cap this off. Um just as is like a cherry on the ice cream. Uh, if there were still any doubt, this was <clears throat> in comes R2-D2. Uh, which, I, like Jay said, I wasn't surprised R2-D2 was there, but I didn't think I was. I did not expect to see R2-D2 on this show. And there he is. Uh, and he, he <laughs> looks down to Grogu and they have a bit of a moment. And the internet's uh, going a little crazy with the conjecture onto what exactly does that mean? Is is R2 just excited because he remembers Yoda and this is a species of the same as Yoda and he's excited? Does he recognize Grogu? Because canonically, timeline, he would have been around or in the um, Jedi Temple when Grogu was there training. Did R2 save Grogu? I, it'd be kind of cool if R2 did save Grogu, but at the same time, it wouldn't be cool. I'd rather have like some it's, other Jedi. <laughs> it, I mean, R2's there in the, the, the uh, temple in the ship with Anakin when he flies to go murder the younglings, so he'd be there when the purge was happening. I don't know. Just put it out there. Right. Um... Uh, I was gonna say, didn't didn't Sabine give Bo-Katan the dark saber? Yeah. Okay. Let's get to this. Um, <laughs> the dark saber is not the goddamn Elder Wand. Uh, there's no like you have to beat me in a duel to claim it. Bullshit. Literally. And I went back and rewatched the this episode after I watched um, the finished Mandalorian because I was like, no, 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 maybe I'm misremembering, maybe there was a duel and I forgot about it, let me go back and watch, no, Jay, you're 100% right, literally, there, there's a, the one shot everyone keeps, you know, putting on on their YouTube videos and stuff is uh, Bo-Katan holding up the Darksaber with uh, Sabine and I forget the name, another Mandalorian, uh, you know, flanking her on the sides and it's this big, we all pledge to Clan Kree's, let's take back Mandalore, yay, big moment, and right before that happens, literally, Sabine just hands her the saber. Just, yep, hey, here you go. Take it. Here, and here, there's have, have no conflict at all. I just, okay, cool, thanks. And she ignites it and holds it up. That's it. Um, so, yeah, I was a little like, that's fucking bullshit. You guys are you're, 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 you're going back on your own shit, Filoni. Quit doing that. Um, but someone pointed out and this kind of makes sense is it's not so much that Bo Katan can't just take the saber from him it's more of the saber was a symbol of her being the ruler of Mandalore at some point and we don't know this part of the story yet she lost it to Gideon so it's not so much she can't just take it from Din again it's more of to prove herself to other Mandalorians, she needs not just the Darksaber, but she needs to walk in with Moff's head on a spike to be like, yeah, he stole it from me and I took it back. 
I think that's more of because Gideon says something about uh, the saber doesn't have power. The story does. So I think yeah. that's kind of what they're hinting at. It's not so much that she can't just take the saber. It's that to save face with the other Mandalorian clans, she needs to to reclaim it. She needs to 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 take it back and and you know the honorable way, um, which makes right. a little more sense. But I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, we'll see. In Filoni, <sighs> we trust. In yes. Filoni, we yeah. trust. So that said, uh, it was a great season. It was fun. Uh, it's too bad we didn't get any cool fan art during the uh, the credits, but uh, that was it. That was season two of Mandalore. Nothing else happened. Nope, that's it. We're done. Yeah, nothing black. else. <laughs> Jay? Oh, the book of Boba Fett? Yeah, I'm super fucking there stoked it is. for that. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he just, like, they walked into Jabba's palace and shot everybody. And then Bib Fortuna is like, oh, Boba, you're alive. Nope, he's, you're dead, well, too. Not only does Bib Fortuna try to address, you know, uh, uh, Boba, but right before he dies, we get, once again, for the second McClunky. time now, McClunky. McClunky returns! I don't know what, I don't know what McClunky means. <laughs> I don't know if it Apparently means, it's oh, bad, because you don't say it until you're about to die, yeah. Because at this point, the only two people who have said it are uh, Greedo before he gets killed by Han and Biff Fortuna before he gets wrecked by Boba Fett. So you don't want to know what McClunky means. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, makes... the most badass final shot ever of Boba sitting on the throne with um, Fennec on his side, uh, taking shots or, or swilling right from the bottle of uh, Spotchka. Which well, I don't the, know what it is, but it looks like blue Kool Aid, and I want some. Well, the whole uh, the, the the whole homage to uh, I think Conan. There's the, the Conan artwork. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That. Yeah. Uh, Frank Frazetta artwork. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, Frank yeah. Frazetta Conan. Yeah. It's so badass. Um, I'm excited yeah. for the book of Boba Fett to see if it's like a mini series or a recurring series. So whatever. I just uh, want more Boba. Uh, Favreau cleared that up uh, Monday on Good Morning America. He went on and talked about it. And uh, Book of Boba Fett is a standalone ooh, excuse me, series. Uh, he didn't confirm how many episodes it'll be, but that is the next thing they're going into production on is Book of Boba Fett. And then immediately after they wrap on Book of Boba Fett, they'll begin shooting Mandalore, uh, Mandalorian Season 3. So uh, it is not replacing mandalorian it is not season three of mandalorian it is its own separate series yep. um and we will see more of din and everyone else in their own season shortly after that yeah uh, they, they specifically held it back from the announcements uh from from disney's investors day just to not spoil uh that that post-credit scene so yeah which is very cool and uh but that is it for yep. Mandalorian season two. And overall, uh, holy shit. Just wow. Um, like I said, I loved this season. I loved uh, everything Star Wars is on the table now. There's nothing. We brought back Luke from 1983. We brought in cartoon characters into live action. We brought people who have only been talked about in novels into the show. Everything is fair game at this point, and I love that. 
however, I have I have a nitpick with the 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 end of the series. Okay. I have a nitpick. Oh yes, yes. No, yeah. this needs to be addressed. Yes. The, yeah, it, it's something. It, it pissed me off. Was you know Luke takes Grogu away right there at the end, and Mando does not give him the shifter knob. He keeps it in his damn pocket. I fully expected him to either pull it out and hand it to him, yep. you know, when he, when he passed him off, or as they were walking away, I was expecting Grogu to reach back and he was going to hold the thing up mm-hmm. and Grogu pull it to him. But no, no, Mando's like, you know what? Fuck you. It's my shifter knob. Get your I own damn shifter. Have one last catch with dad. Yeah. Yeah. No. They uh, go through the trouble of picking it out of the wreckage, and then it does not make a make a cameo right there at the end. Uh, that the pissed me off. Only thing I can think of is uh, at some point in season three, uh, Mando is going to be talking about little Grogu and how much he misses the little big eared bastard, and he's going to pull out that ball and kind of look at it and have a moment, and then the ball is just going to fly away from his hand, and we'll cut to uh, you know camera two, and there'll be Grogu. And if we don't, then I'm pissed. Because if you didn't do it this episode and you're not going to do it as a he's back moment, then you fucked up. Hey, in Filoni we trust. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, So there we go. I think that's everything. It was a lot. It was. It was. So if you're still listening, thank you for uh toughing it out i know this is going to be a long episode but uh if you're like us you had a lot to say um but with that i believe we are coming to a close for a discussion of mandalore season two thank you for joining us uh scott thank you for representing the old eu jason thank you for flying your boba flag um this is the way (laughs) in the words of quill To paraphrase, we have spoken.